church, what do you do? Or rather, what do you like to do? I mean, do you like the old songs or the new songs? Do you like the organ or the band? I mean, these are in some ways fairly marginal questions, but they can divide groups of Christian people. So what is evangelical worship? What should we be doing? The man with the answer is Philip Jensen. Philip. Hello, Kel. So let's start by talking about whether what we do reflects our theology, what we believe or should. You change from is to should. <laughs> and that's that's the problem. Right. Okay. You put your finger right on it by that change. That is, Without is it controlled it, I was cleverer by? Cleverer than I thought. I thought I was. Is it cleverer <laughs> than I knew? Is it controlled by a theology? Well, yes, it is, um, and yes, it should be. Right. But very often there's a big disjunction between the theology we think we have and the theology we clearly have by the way we run church. Right. Well, what about the person who says, look, as long as we believe the gospel, that, that you know, we just do stuff in church that keeps people happy, it doesn't matter. Are they wrong? Yeah. Well, if your gospel is people being happy is what matters, right. then they're right. Right. So what you do in church will be an expression of your true theology. Okay. It's like your actions will be an expression of your true faith. You know, faith and actions in James 2. And so... By your actions, I will see your faith. Okay, so let's focus on what we do in church, reflecting the gospel we actually believe. Right. Now, a lot of what we do is symbolic. So is there such a thing as real... And we think of symbols as being more attached to very formal services. And mm -hmm. Anglican, but is there such a thing as gospel symbolism? Oh, yes. We, we always are symbolic. <clears throat> Evangelicals are great believers in symbolism. Um, which is why we opposed, in the Anglican tradition, the Anglo-Catholic movement of the 19th century, because it reintroduced Roman Catholic um, symbols back into our church life, into our Protestant life. Now, if we didn't believe in symbolism, we would have said, oh, well, that's all right, you can do that, that's a, yes. it's neither here nor there. But we do believe in symbolism. And we think those symbols were the wrong symbols for expressing the gospel. Sending the wrong message. Sending the wrong message. And so what I do physically is an important part of what I say. You know, it's the old thing about where, where people uh, tell you to uh, uh, look down. Right? <laughs> and immediately everybody, you know, oh, sorry, should they look down? And then immediately everyone looks up because yes. the symbol of your eyes, your hand, your gestures actually be more powerful than the word you're using. And so we believe in symbols very strongly. But the key is making sure that they're the right symbols, not the wrong symbols. I suspect this turns up in church architecture occasionally where you've seen some churches where in order to say the preaching matters, the pulpit's right in the middle. Absolutely. And, yes. and those, those old nonconformist churches yes. that did that were making a statement, weren't they? Went to an Episcopalian church in uh, uh, Philadelphia, Boston. No, Philadelphia. Uh, which was the church that George Washington went to and the church that Benjamin Franklin went to and the rest of it. And they've restored it and preserved it. It's really beautiful. It's lovely. No stained glass window. Right. Lovely big clear glass windows. Let's the light flood in. And they were very proud of the way they restored it. But I noticed that the pulpit was over one side. And I thought, that's strange for a Georgian period church. So I asked the caretaker about it, and oh no, this is exactly as it was. So I thought it was strange, and I got one of the uh, souvenir books, and I looked, and sure enough in the 18th century, the pulpit was in the middle. Which symbolically is a really important statement. Well, yes, because the pulpit was in the middle, and the table was over on the side. Right. And they brought the table out for the Lord's Supper and put, put it, it away, back, again. back and forth, yep. which is the normal Protestant pattern from the 
uh, Reformation. It's in the prayer book, isn't it? It's in the prayer book. That's what should be done. Whereas what had happened was they've moved the pulpit to one side and the table is now a fixed object in the middle. In fact, can the way symbols speak change over time? So if there was a a symbol which, which played a useful role in the past but is interpreted differently now, can we in fact be using it because we just do it the way we oh, always yes. did and we're sending oh, yes. the wrong message. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll give you two of them that I know. One is the, uh, the bread and the wine at the end of the Lord's Supper. Um, because we wanted to stop people reserving the bread and wine because they believe that Jesus is the bread and the wine. The old host stuff. And yeah. the old host stuff, yep. or transubstantiation and the like, whereby it would be the bread and the wine would be then carried around and people would worship, fall down and before what is Jesus. We wrote into the prayer book, not me personally, Mr. Cranmer, <laughs> some years ago, that the bread and the wine all had to be consumed there and then. So there could be no reservation. So there anything. is no reservation because yes. there's nothing to reserve anymore because it's yep. all been eaten and drunk at the time. Now, that was a good way. That was a very ideal way of solving the problem. However, over centuries, there is so much symbolism around eating and drinking the bread and the wine that you get the impression that the bread and the wine is really, really, really important because they don't, they don't treat it like you would normally treat leftover bread and wine. Yes, I mean, when we have a dinner party, I don't go around and clean up what's left. No. Eat everything that's left on the table. I've seen ministers spend time getting every little crumb and making sure that every crumb is exactly... And the plate is washed over several times and so as to make sure. And so people think the bread and the wine is really important because look at the way they clean up at the end of the service. Yes, yeah. Another one is the surplus, the long white robe, yep. which was the same robe that a singer could wear, a layman would wear. So by putting the clergy in the singer's robes, he was saying there's no status difference between clergy and laity. Well, in the back of, those, that's the era when, when rural workers wore smocks, so that kind of loose garment was loose common. Loose garment, yes. yes. Now, in the 20th century, we got rid of robed choirs in most places, not here in the cathedral, we still have robes here, but most places got rid of the robes except the clergyman. Right. And so then it became a particular garment worn by a clergyman. And suddenly he stands out instead of fitting in. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And so, and worse still, of recent times, uh, the clergy are now getting out of the robes, by and large, very often, except at communion, which <laughs> then turns it into a sacramental robe. Right. Where the very robe was actually used and, and instituted as a layman's robe. So, so in other words, we need to think these things through. We can't just say we've always done this, uh, therefore we'll do it. We need to say what message are we sending by doing this? And if we have the message we've always done it this way, therefore we'll do it, yes. we're sending the message that the church is permanently locked into a different century. Yes, and that's not our gospel. That's another symbol, yes. you see. And yeah. so you're sending symbolic messages without necessarily meaning what they symbolise. Okay. Talking about what we need to be doing and should be doing, let me throw a slogan at you. True worship is total commitment. Good slogan or bad slogan? Total commitment. Uh, well, it's better than most. Yes. <laughs> um, should I ask, is it yours first? No, no, what? it's not mine. It's okay. <laughs> you can say anything you like about it. Yeah. Uh, true worship is the, uh, is, is the glory that you bring to God by obedience to the gospel. Right. And so, so, yes, total commitment is an obedience to the gospel, and the gospel will bring us glory to the Lord Jesus. Which brings us to defining the word worship. Because yes. Because th- there are people who will say that what happens on Sunday is the worship service, 
but as evangelicals, we want to think of the word more widely, don't we? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. I mean, worship means uh, wordsmith, giving right. God his worth. Yes. Right. Well, what is God's worth? Well, he's worth more than an hour on Sunday mornings. Laying down our bodies as a sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him and That's stuff right. like that. That's the whole of my life is my worship. Every part of life, including church going, is my worship of God. And so to, to limit the, the word worship down to church activity is to make a fairly fundamental error. It's like the Book of Common Prayer, uh, BCP. Most people don't notice the C in it. It's the Book of Common Prayer. It's not the prayer book. Yes, okay. So we pray it, at home by ourselves, but yes. when we come together, we pray together. together. It's common prayer. It's common prayer. Right. And so you could say the Sunday morning in church is common worship. It's, it's as opposed to individual worship, which is all the rest of the time. That's right. Okay. And so some friends I know drove to uh, church, um, parked across other people's uh, driveway, and uh, the, the locals got a bit sick of this, and so they called the police, and all the people who were parked, they weren't the only ones parked across driveways, got tickets. Well, the church people were really up at arms about this, and uh, said, you know, there we were in worshipping God, and you were going around writing us tickets. Well, that's pretty sad, isn't it? Yeah. That's pretty, uh, they were worshipping God when they parked across other people's driveways. But they failed to love their neighbours as their cell. As and their so it was a very bad form of worship. It yes. was actually doing disservice to God and to God's name. And you don't worship God just when you go in the building. That's the way you park your car legally, honestly and lovingly of your neighbour yep. that is worshipping God as well. Actually, I read, a, I think, a very good book making exactly this point called Engaging with God by David Peterson some yes. years ago, which he goes right, trawls right through Scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament and comes to this conclusion that yeah. worship is a whole-of-life activity. It is, yes. Yeah. So when we do get together, when we're doing the common thing, what, what is the main purpose? What, what, why are we there? What, it is, what well, is it for? First thing to notice is the common thing. Right. So it's fellowship. Yep. We gather together for fellowship. And so I don't gather with others to do a private thing. And some forms of church going, they're intensely private. But that's not, that defeats the purpose of coming together. Uh, we come together to share with one another in fellowship, in our obedience to God. And we come together to build each other in, in Christ and to build the church of Christ. And so it's an edifying activity of fellowship. Now, how we edified in fellowship was by hearing God's word and by praying to him. Uh, there's all kinds of elements to it. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is a way of teaching one another. But there's always this sense of, I'm doing this in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's an activity of fellowship for edification. I can remember going to a church just many years ago now, and there was a sign up the front saying, Reverence my sanctuary. And if you sat down and you talked, people hushed you. Mm. because you were meant to be in silence before mm. everything began, mm. which seems to defeat the whole point of being together in the building, doesn't it? Oh, yes. yes. Well, uh, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's written across a many a church door. Yes. Um, I've even seen one which said if, uh, the, the doors of paradise. And so you walked in <laughs> to the paradise, and I was expecting furniture to be a bit better than what was inside that particular church. Uh, see, that's the temple language of the Old Testament. Right. The house of the Lord is the temple. And I enter into the house of the Lord when I become a Christian. And the house of the Lord that I enter is not the temple in Jerusalem, but the heavenly 
temple. We become citizens of heaven immediately. Immediately. And so we are in heaven is our spiritual state. And I don't go to heaven when I go to my local church. Um, I'm in heaven already. And my brothers and sisters are in heaven already. We're going to a local church in order to encourage one another in our life here in this world. So we go to do things. We go to, to hear the gospel, to make sure we're absorbing what it's saying, to talk to each other about it, to read the Bible together, to pray together. I mean, I, I, there's a lovely mutual friend of ours who will bowl up to me after church on occasions and say, how are you going in your, your spiritual life? Which very few people do, oh. but it's terrific. That's right, because we're taught in Hebrews 10 that we are to stir one another up right. to love and good works. And not forgetting to assemble together, as is the habit of some, because we can't stir each other up to love and good works if we're not meeting with each other. But we do meet with each other to encourage each other to love and good works. And presumably central to that is reading the Bible aloud and hearing the Bible taught. Yes. That's at the heart of what's yes. going to go on. and praying with each other, thanking God, teaching one another by psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Okay. Central to that activity. We're gospel people, we're evangelical people, that's what we're doing, but there are alternatives today. Oh, yes. what, what are the alternatives that are floating around that might lure us or trap us or confuse us in some way? Well, one of it is, is the very concept of worship as being um, uh, a private individual experience of God that comes from me doing something. So the gospel is about God coming down to man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in order for God to lift us up. Through his death and resurrection, he lifts us up by his spirit to be in heaven. But nearly all other forms of religion are about how we climb our way up to God by different activities, by works, by... And one of the key ones that people have is by church. Right. That I go here and I do the right things. The whole this is things, how I connect with God. And this is how I connect with God. Right. Um, some, it's the connection with God is through the church experience. That is, the music lifts me up there or, or the, the ritual will lift me up there. Uh, sometimes it's the mediator. I get to God... Uh, through the priest. Right. And he I, stands I, between I, me and God. Yes, and I can't get to God. I'm an unholy, unworthy person. And so I go and get the holy person who can, I can confess my sins and he can absolve me. And so he stands between me and God. Um, or I pray to the saints and the like. And so church becomes, now each of these, they're really fundamentally alternatives to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They don't mean to be, but they actually confuse us about the one true mediator between man and God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for all. Looking at some of these alternatives, ritual is obviously can be yes. a problem because, because the ritual becomes an end in itself. It becomes yes. the process, doesn't that's it? That's right. And so I, that's a problem. And I imagine that that's what God is like and I imagine that God is pleased with me that I've gone through this. And if the ritual is grand enough and big enough, then I have this sense of experience uh, of see a very large procession a, a very solemn grand moment a, a huge organ swell and a great brass and the timpanis etc I shiver down the spine yes it's really impressive especially great music sung well you you get the feelings but you get exactly the same feelings actually without God and the same kind of music played in a different context yes, you can get the yes. people or a big procession I mean I can get the feelings at Anzac Day right it's got nothing necessary to do with God it's a, a big cool. brass band a big procession a big moment a ritual has certain impact upon the human psyche
But that's not the point of that's us not gathering God. together. Yes. No. So, connected to or in some way with that ritual approach is the mystical approach. Yes. Which we see in churches that would think of themselves as being the very opposite to ritualistic, you know, old-fashioned Catholic churches. Churches, some of which are charismatic and Pentecostal, but are very keen on creating an experience within the worship. And it's got a lot to do with the music, hasn't it? Uh, it often does have the music, and uh, uh, music is a key part of Christianity. Christianity is, is a, a religion of song. We are very big on song. But it's, it's not the music per se, it's the use of it in terms of giving me that sense of the otherness of God. So people think spirituality is the kind of irrational, immaterial otherness. Whereas spirituality is that God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord, and that I'm being pushed into holiness of life, such as the fruit of the Spirit creates in me. It's, it's gospel is spirituality, not feeling of the otherness. Yes, that mystical ecstatic sort ecstatic. of thing. Yes. Now I can get that through ritual, I can get it through medievalism. That is, you, you go into a, a church um, that has a building like our building, which is kind of an unusual building. By gothic is the word, yeah, or whatever it is. Mock gothic, but gothic, <laughs> yes, uh, building, which is an unusual building with stained glass windows which are unusual. and you can have that kind of plain song music that you don't hear in any other context. And yes. you can have chanting, which is, and it creates an otherworldly sense, a, a sense of this is not mundane, this is not what I hear on the radio, this is not what I see in the streets, this is a step up towards eerie. heaven. And then I use, you know, you can use candlelight rather than real light, and you can uh, have uh, the, the, the smells of, of incense burning. Those things are not happening in our cathedral, but it's that kind of setting can create an experience of the mystic that makes you feel like you're in touch with something other. Now, you can do exactly the same with a big uh, modern band and, and a whole amplifier system. And the music that we would have called hymns or Christian songs or even choruses when we were younger, and now called, it's now called praise and worship music, and the person who leads is Alan called the song leader. They're called the worship yeah. leader. So that's, that's using that language in a very distinctive oh, way. Oh, yes, it? very. And it, it, it's thoughtless in one sense, uh, that not actually thinking, well, what does the Bible teach about worship? How do I express it in church life? Right. Um, uh, it's taking on a word from a different context and using it. So there are people who are Bible-believing Christians, but because of thoughtlessness, the language they're using is unhelpful. and So a worship leader, the Lord Jesus Christ is my worship leader. Yes, yep. You know, I mean, I'm, no long, I'm not likely to call uh, a worship leader a worship leader any more than I'm going to call a priest father. So if an evangelical church has fallen into that, just, just by not thinking, yeah. fallen, would, would it be a good healthy step for them to go back to calling that person the song leader? Absolutely. Right. Yes. I mean, it's a small matter, it's just a word. But words and symbols, people are misled into thinking that they get into touch with God by the experience that they have in church. Yes. You then see that man out the front as the worship leader who is going to look after this part of the service where we're going to worship God. And music turns to praise, praise turns to worship, worship is how I get in touch with God. This part of the gathering. I mean, one friend of mine went to a church where 
they had the amplifiers set up so that there were echo things happening. So as you said, 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 thing, 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 so it all created. And they said it was like feeling water in a, in a, in a, in a kind of uh, waterfall rumbling over the top of you all the time as you're right. hearing. Now, that's all very nice, that's all very clever. But if you place that in the context of we're gathered together for our time of worship and our worship leader is now taking us and you start getting these strange feelings and experiences by the music and the lights and the colour and the noise. I mean, modern music is not actually to be heard. Modern music is to be felt. Yes, it becomes a visceral thing flowing through the system. That's right. And so I can actually merge psychologically with the crowd around about me. Now... certain concerts and the use of ecstasy and other things, that's exactly what he's aimed to do in modern music. Even without the drugs, I mean, a lot of modern pop concerts, people spend a lot of their time on their feet, you know, clapping, stamping, hands above their heads, cheering. That's what happens at a pop concert. That's right. And you you lose yourself as you become part of something greater. Well, that's mystic. That's Eastern mysticism. That's not actually God. God is seen when we visit the widows and the orphans and we keep ourselves unstained from the world. And we tell, and we tell <laughs> other is, people the gospel. Exactly, that's where worship, worship is in the way you live in obedience to God, bringing glory to him by being a transformed person by the Holy Spirit. There's a bloke I know who actually was a worship leader in, in a largest church for a while. And he, he, said to, he said to me some years later, he said, I realized I had become a kind of priest and my role was to link these people to God. Yes. And he was really, when the, the penny dropped and he thought that's what, that's what that was going on, he, he was really disturbed by that because at the time he hadn't thought about it in those terms. But it was exactly like going to a Roman Catholic priest to link you to God, except they were coming to an auditorium type place and his music was linking them to God. Yes, that's right. And I love music. Uh, music is terrific. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful part of Christian life and Christian fellowship. But it's no alternative to Jesus. Now, most people don't think it is either, but yet... Can fall into a pattern as if they thought that. It is as if it is. That's yes. right. And so if you say, Shh, do you think music is the way to God? Most people would say no. Some people would say yes. Uh, that's a worry. But most Christians would say no, 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 but it just helps us. But any good thing can become an idol, ultimately. And if you think that this is a way, the way to God then you've got a big problem because the way to God is only by God coming to us in the person of Jesus. So we have, to, we have to stand back and say, is what we're doing reflecting what we actually believe about the gospel right. rather than saying that works for them in their church, let's yeah. borrow that bit. Yeah, which is a silly way. What works for them in their church may well be uh, not working at all for them in church because it may not be the gospel at all. Yeah. But it's also... Not only is that, but it's also what is church about? It is for edifying one another. Is this edifying my brothers and sisters? Will they know more of the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of going through this experience? So that's the process. That's the thought process when we make a decision about what's going to happen in our meetings. Yes, yes. So people come and say, can I announce this? Can I do this? Can we do that? And my question in my mind all the time is, is this going to build the congregation? Is this going to edify them? Not build in terms necessarily of numbers, but build them in Christ-likeness of character and nature. Well, if it's teaching the Word of God, if it's exemplifying love, if it is, yes. But if it's giving us an emotional uh, high and labelling it spiritual and 
confusing it with worship. No, it's actually unhelpful. I've got nothing against being emotionally high. I go pretty high and pretty low at different <laughs> well, You're times. a very emotional person. I'm highly emotional. Yes. You know, I mean, I, I cry at funerals. I, I'm very emotional and I love being emotional. I feel sad for people who don't... See, I feel sad for people <laughs> who don't have much emotional awareness and sensitivity. But I never confuse my emotional state with my spiritual state. Right. They're just two different things. But, but, but it's not uncommon for people to do exactly that. A religious experience equals an emotional experience for some people. And what's worse is it is taught by some people to right. do that. So I mean, it, that people are confused, I can understand. But when churches teach it, that really hurts. That really makes it difficult because it confuses people. So for those of us who are gospel people, who are evangelicals, this is an issue not just for the people at the front who are deciding what's going to be in the meeting and how it's going to run, but it must surely be an issue for us. If I come along to sit in the pews, I have to have the attitude of I'm here to fellowship with fellow Christians, to do things together with them, to do what I can to encourage them. I almost need to work, walk into church with that right attitude, don't yes, I? Uh, yes, absolutely. The, the expectations that people have church often explains the disappointments that people have with church. Right. You come with false expectations and you don't get what you were hoping to get because church was never aimed at that in the first place. Uh, it is important that people come to hear what God has to say. And therefore it's important that people, that the church is run where God does speak. But it's also important that people have prepared beforehand, that we think about it, that we read the passage that is going to be read or, or going to be preached on that Sunday before we come. And we don't come as consumers saying, I'm here, do something good for me. No, and that we've had enough sleep the night before. It's just way writing notes during sermons can help because it helps you concentrate and pay attention to what's going on. That's right. And then I don't come just to hear a sermon because I can do that these days downloaded from philipjensen.com or wherever you want to <laughs> yes. download it from. But I actually come to share that knowledge of God with my brothers and sisters. And so I've come to serve them. Now, in serving them, they will serve me and we will be serving each other. So but if I over coffee afterwards, someone tells me about a problem, it's appropriate for me to say, why don't I pray for you? Yes. And pray for them there in front of the coffee Straight table. there. I always pray for the people there and then because so much happens in life that I won't remember tomorrow. <laughs> So people tell me something, I pray for them, with but, them, right there and then. But, but just as members, you're a minister, we're just as members of the congregation, we can do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, do it, I don't do it as the priest. Right. I do it as a member of the congregation. Yeah. So, and, but that's what we need to be, come to church prepared to do. Yes. Anytime, with anybody that we meet as we talk. But when you sit down, you greet the person beside you. Yep. Because we haven't come to sit in our own little pew, separate from people, and we're just kind of a little bit put off by the fact that there's so many sitting in my pew with me and why are they sitting? You know, like when you're in a bus and they sit too close to you. Uh, no, no, church is where I've come to meet other people. Right. And so whereas in a bus I mightn't say hello to the person next to me, although you'll never share the gospel with them if you don't, in church I should never sit down without saying hello to the person next to you. Well, there you are. That is something to talk about in your prayer and Bible study group, the attitudes that we bring to church and what we do reflecting what we actually believe. Thank you.